All right, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for uh, a new week. Thank you for the Lord's Day that we can uh, regroup and refresh. And we pray, Father, you would continue to work in us and among us, that you would uh, continue your work of sanctifying us and making us more and more like Christ. Thank you for our families, our children, our wives and husbands. Thank you for the church. And uh, we pray your blessings now as we think about what you have said regarding the raising of our children. Lord, give us strength and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, the session had asked me to uh, circle back and do uh, a, le- a series of lessons on child training. And um, I looked to see what I did last time. I was going to do like four, and then I looked. Last time I taught this, which was several years ago, I did 27 lessons, Uh, and trying to condense that into four was a challenge. I did do a series in uh, Moscow at Trinity Church up there a few years ago, and I did um, some long lectures. So anyway, this is probably going to be about eight uh, instead of four, and maybe uh, we'll see. So uh, that's the best I can do right now. Galatians 6, 9, uh, we've, we've heard this recently in a sermon, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. And so raising children is a very much a long-term project. In fact, it's a lifetime project. And so there are many occasions... Uh, on any given day when we grow weary. Uh, and anybody who's done this for any length of time knows that. I know some of you have been uh, through this series of lessons or something like it a number of times, even with me. But as a church family, um, we keep having engagements, weddings, and more babies. Uh, so then what? What do we do with them? Those who've had their babies for a while, we've had ours for 39 to 44 years, uh, know that this work of parenting is way harder than you imagined when you started. Um, and that's a, that's an understatement. People tell you that, uh, tell you that when you're young, but you don't listen, and I know you don't listen because you keep having babies. Um, and that's good. So many of us know something of the delights uh, and joys of child rearing as well as the fact that it can be uh, excruciating, frustrating, maddening, embarrassing, humbling, and uh, painful. Oh yeah, and it's really exhausting and it takes a long time. And if that doesn't describe you, then you either uh, must not have any children or you haven't had them for very long. Uh, one of the many blessings and benefits of being, uh, of being a church community is that we're not doing this alone. Um, and so we have each other, we need each other, and because we are marching to Zion together. And uh, not imagine, however hard this is, imagine how hard it would be if you were just out there all by yourself. Um, so our goal is to give God 
in the end, mature and responsible and respectable adults who are a pleasure to us and to others to be around and, uh, and who will thereby be a gift to, and will glorify God. Such children are a result of careful cultivation, and that cultivation involves us understanding what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And there is a lot to do. We're not born knowing these things. And so we'll have to be taught as we rely upon the strength and the wisdom and the grace of God. Over my nearly 45 years of parenting and 38 years of pastoral ministry, I have listened to countless lectures and sermons and read more books and articles on this subject than I can remember. Um, I learned and benefited from all of these, uh, in addition to my observation of families. Um, so there's very little in these lessons that's original to me, other than the compilation, the organization, and the expansion of other people's thoughts and wisdom on this subject. So let me say thank you to all of them and to all of you because you've uh, you have taught you have taught me, uh, others have taught me, and I do not stand up here as an expert. Um, we want to look at the Word of God again as our standard, and all of us come before that and and bow and acknowledge that we uh, need to be taught by God Himself. Perhaps you've read a few books on this subject, heard a few lessons or sermons. You've probably had uh, numerous conversations with friends as well. It is a sensitive subject, uh, partly because it concerns our children and partly because we often feel insecure in our parenting. Uh, We know that uh, we have any number of weak spots, and we, we try to hide those, cover those, ignore those, uh, uh, pretend like they're not there, but we know they're there. And, of course, we always need to know what the Bible teaches on the subject if we have any hope of seeing our vineyard uh, become fruitful and productive. And most most of us, I'm sure if I ask you, have you failed? Do you have failures as a parent? You would say yes. You'd probably be very quick to say yes. Um, you might even complain about how bad or immature your children are. Uh, you might express your frustration with the enormous burdens of the task. Uh, nevertheless, there's often equal resistance uh, to admitting particular failures. It's like saying, I'm a sinner, but I don't want to talk about any particular sins. Uh, that's, that's getting personal. And so there can be a real natural defensiveness when it comes to the specifics that are discussed. Um, I think it's helpful to remember, uh, it is for me at least, not only when I'm raising children, am I raising children, but God's raising children, and that would be me. (laughs) Um, Every lesson, every situation I'm dealing with with my children, God is using to teach me because I'm always a child of God, and he's raising me. He's sanctifying me. He's maturing me. So there's, there's more than one thing going on in any given situation. So we're thinking, okay, I need to teach my son or my daughter this or that lesson. And at the same time, God is teaching me lessons, new lessons. 
teaching me to trust God, seeing if I'll obey, seeing if I'll do what God's called me to do in this situation. And so um, we've, we've all evaluated the child-rearing of other families around us, haven't we? Um, that's one of the reasons God put us all together. Uh, we've all seen things that we approve of, and we've seen things that we disapprove of. None of us are immune from this evaluation, giving it or receiving it, and I would like to suggest that's a good thing, uh, or at least usually it is. It can be a sinful thing. We can become gossips or uh, be sinful in the way we do that, but generally I think it's a good thing. This ought to give us, though, all a strong measure of humility, uh, knowing that we too are being evaluated and that we have our blind spots, our shortcomings. And so one thing about child rearing is there's really no room for arrogance. Uh, and if you, if you ever, if you ever <laughs> start to move into that territory, God, God will teach you a new lesson. Um, moreover, this ought to give us a great deal of patience and a lot of grace with one another. So why do we need this study again? Well, one thing about the life of the church, we can take almost every subject that we have, uh, that we cover, that scriptures cover, which is pretty much all of them, and they, they just have to be repeated, partly because we need to hear it again. And so a lot of what you hear, you say, I've heard that before, but I need to be reminded. Uh, or you're in a new phase of life, and you have a new perspective on it yourself. And so I understand that. Uh, but that's true of really everything we do. Plus the church changes. We have new people come in. We have new babies being born. We have You're in a different phase of your life now than you were the last time you heard some of these things. Child rearing is exceptionally hard work, uh, partly because of its duration, its intensity. It's 24-7. It's a long number of years. And in order to do this job right, uh, the need for knowledge and productive labor is essential because hard work is not the point. Uh, there are a lot of things that are hard. Um, we don't get to make it up as we go or follow the current fads or just throw our hands up and quit. Um, so there are three things, I think, that work together to undermine the raising of godly children. One is ignorance. Uh, we're not born knowing how to raise children. Now, some of us, you may have had the blessing of growing up in a good Christian home and received that kind of foundation from your parents, and that gives you a head start. But as, as all parents find out, uh, is every child is different. They're born into a different world. That's another thing that I think some of us who are now on this side of child raising realize is that the next generation has different challenges. Some are the same, many are the same, but some are new. The, the world is different. The, the, the influences are coming from different directions. And then each child is different. Uh, so you think you got it figured out, and then God gives you that the next one. And you know, oh, my, um, that one doesn't act like the other one. And now I've got to learn how to, to raise this one. And then you get another one and another one. And then, you know, you realize there's kind of 
no end to the variations that present themselves. And then the dynamics of your home change, uh, depending on the number of children and what their ages are. All of that is constantly moving and changing. So uh, fallen paternal and maternal instincts are not enough. Uh, we, not, we not only don't know what we need to know, we've also picked up bad information along the way. And without instruction and correction, which is what the Scriptures provide, right? Uh, all Scriptures provide that, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Without that, uh, we, we don't even know the difference. Hebrews uh, 5 tells us that... Uh, If we don't know the Word of God, we can't even tell the difference between good and evil sometimes. Ignorance, even with the best of intentions, will still kill you. Second is fatigue. These are the three things I think that work together to undermine godly, raising godly children. Fatigue, the drudgery, the repetition, the physical labor that's involved on a daily basis, can be overwhelming. We're sinners, they're sinners, sin kills, and it wears us out. The Apostle Paul writes, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we do not lose heart. There's kind of an anticipation that there will be many moments of losing heart. Um, And then the third is, is just negligence, because we are either ignorant or forgetful, or because we're fatigued, we are also tempted to be negligent. It's, again, hard work. It's easier not to do it. It's easier to just turn the uh, radio up or close the door or send them to their room or just get away or tune them out in some way. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, I went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Uh, Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So there's this picture of uh, the family being like a vineyard. And again, you just do nothing, and pretty soon the wall that protects it falls down and it's being overrun by uh, varmints and things and weeds, and it, it stops being productive. So all you have to do is do nothing. Nevertheless, child rearing is exceptionally important work. Uh, pastor and theologian Robert Dabney wrote this over a hundred years ago. The education of children for God is the most important business done on earth. It is the one business for which the earth exists. To it, all politics, all war, all literature, all money-making ought to be subordinated, and every parent especially ought to feel every hour of the day that next to making his own calling and election sure, this is the end for which he is kept alive by God. This is his task on earth. So God's Word has a great deal to say about this. 
1,361 verses use the word child or children. Another 143 verses refer to descendants. 40 refer to babies or little ones. And 40 refer to offspring, totaling almost 1,600 verses. To provide a point of comparison, the word salvation is used 156 times. Um, covenant 200, in 293 verses and redemption or redeem in 69 verses for a total of 518. I know that's not, doesn't prove everything, but it does prove something. Children are an important part of the Bible. Young people need to start preparing for this job now. Um, Parents always have more to learn, and grandparents need to be on the same page uh, with their adult children because we still participate and support. Uh, In other words, the entire covenant community needs to know what God's Word says about this subject. We need to work together to produce fruitful vineyards full of godly children. These are your children, and these are our children. I'll say this to uh, when I'm doing premarital counseling with couples. This is your wedding, but it's not just your wedding. It's your family's wedding. It's the church community's wedding. It's bigger than you. And raising children is that, yes, these are your children, and they have a special place, obviously. That's an understatement. But they're not just your children. God's given them to you to do something with them so that they become a blessing to others. They become useful servants in the kingdom of God for the sake of the kingdom of God, for Christ's sake. And so recognizing this is critical if we're going to stick with this is to see the importance of it. In fact, civilization depends on it. The original mandate was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But that mandate was given in the context of filling the earth with God-glorifying beings that would then expand the communion of love. So it's not just having babies. It's not just filling the earth. Filling them with what? What kind of babies? What kind of children? is what matters. As Malachi speaks of the marriage covenant, he asks, but did he not make them one, the husband and wife, having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? Why did God do that? Why did he create marriage? He seeks godly offspring. That's what your marriage exists for. Um, Your household is to be a reflection of the Trinity. The Trinity is an eternal communion of love. Your household is to be a communion of love, and as children are brought into that, that community, that communion grows. And every single thing you do should be contributing to that community of love. I like that, that term, community of love or communion of love. And so whether you're going to work to earn a paycheck or cooking a meal or taking out the trash or making love or having people over or family worship or whatever it is should be contributing to that community of love. 
And every single one of those things, the devil can take and turn it into a way of tearing apart that communion of love. Because sin, when I, we can have a quarrel over who's going to take the trash out and disrupt the communion. And a lot of our work as parents is managing all of this in such a way because there are constant disruptions. There are constant ways that uh, the devil is trying to disrupt the communion and bring in death and separation and anger and strife and conflict, anything to tear apart the communion. And if we can keep before us the vision, understand, I don't want him to win. I'm not going to let that happen. We're not going to have a quarrel over what's for breakfast or who's going to do mow the grass. We're not going to let that tear us apart and kill us. So civilization depends on this. That um, The very last words of the Old Testament prophecy of, uh, of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, uh, that message, which is the message of the gospel, concerns the hearts of children. So as the Old Testament comes to a close, and God has basically brought an indictment against his people, partly for unfaithful marriages and partly for not giving him godly offspring, and here's what it says about what's coming uh, in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet, and that's John the Baptist, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. By the way, uh, the angel that speaks to Zacharias in, in Luke is going to quote from this passage, uh, referring again to John the Baptist. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, God says, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, if we don't have children who love their fathers and fathers who love their children, and by implication mothers who are extension here of fathers, the two are one. If that doesn't happen, the whole land, the whole culture, The whole world will be cursed. That's how critical this is. As we open the New Testament, we read the fulfilling of this promise as the angel tells Zechariah about his coming son. In Luke 1.17, He will also go before him, that is before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So our children are not a footnote to the gospel. They are central to this work. And so we must never forget the promise that God made to our father Abraham. Uh, Genesis 18. Uh, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So when God sets before Abraham this this image, this vision, this, uh, this future picture that Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. I'm going to bless the world. You can imagine Abraham thinking, how is that going to work? Where do I start? Is this a big program? 
What do I need to do? What's the big thing I need to do? And basically God says, go home. Go home and command, demand your household to love God. To keep the way of the Lord. To do justice and righteousness. Why? And God says, so that I can bring all these things to pass. You go home and do what I've called you to do at your house, and I'll take care of the world. I'll change the world. But you need to take care of the people I'm giving you, the people who are under your charge. So I want to say a word. Again, this is our obviously introductory lesson on this, kind of setting the table about failure. And grace. We have all failed at many points in our child raising. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable because we have sinful, that is, sin-filled children born to sinful parents into a sinful world. You cannot raise children for 20 plus years without learning a lot. And a lot of those lessons come the hard way. Profitable child-rearing always requires an enormous amount of God's grace to us. We can't save ourselves by our own good works. This is really a caution I want to put out there because sometimes we get, I want you to be fired up, as it were, about child-rearing. And I want you to think about it, pray about it, read books about it, have a plan and then fall on your face before God and cry out for His grace and His mercy because you got to remember, you can't save yourself and you can't save your children. You cannot do this well enough. It is always going to be that relationship. So we can fall into the ditch on either side here in child raising. We can throw our hands up and give up and not do what God's called us to do. Or we can think, well, if I just do all these things, I'm going to get a big checklist here, and if I do all these things, then there's some kind of a a uh, works-generated product here that I can rest in. It is always going to be not only God's grace to you, but your grace toward your children. And sometimes we think grace is some kind of weakness, that God or we somehow, if we're being gracious, that that's weakness. So again, there are two ways we can fall in the ditch. We can be wimpy uh, parents that never insist on anything from our children, and we think that's being gracious and nice. That's not grace. That's wimpiness. That's uh, weakness. Or we can be harsh and have all kind of rules and demand everything, And we think that's being tough and strong, and it's not. It's being legalistic, and it's being harsh, and it's not what God does with us. Praise the Lord. Because he could could crush us constantly. Profitable child-rearing always requires, again, enormous amount of God's grace. Neither can we. We can't save our children by our good child-rearing. Nevertheless, God does... Bless covenant faithfulness. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Are you teaching your children the Word of God? Then I would expect them to have faith. If you're not teaching them the Word of God, then uh, all bets are off. 
It's still God, just like he, just like God with Abraham said, Abraham, you go home and do this, and I'll bring this to pass. You go home and do these things God's given you to do, and do them trusting in him. You won't do them perfectly, but you'll do them. And God says he'll take his word and he'll give them faith. 2 Timothy 3, 14, 15, But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And again, this idea here when Paul's talking to Timothy was from the time you were a nursing baby, you have known the holy scriptures. The word of God. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Sitting through another child training class can be difficult because it makes us see and feel our failures and shortcomings, but let me encourage you to do these things. First, just confess your failures to God, and you know what? He'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's hard to believe, isn't it? It is. But believe it. He said it. It's true. Confess your sins and he'll forgive you and cleanse you and learn from your failures so that you don't have to, so that you can grow and help others and then rejoice that others are hearing and learning what perhaps you didn't know. Psalm 103, 15 through 18, for as for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So one of the central features of God's purpose for our households is a multi-generational objective. He's promised to be a God to us and to our children, our children's children, And so you are raising, if you're currently raising children, think of it this way, you're raising your grandchildren's parents. I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, Most of you have heard this, but it's as we say, it's one of the reasons you don't kill your children, so you can have grandchildren. Um, But you're raising your your grandchildren's parents. As parents, you're engaged, again, in the most important and powerful work imaginable. Most of it goes unseen and unappreciated, at least in the moment. But we didn't see and we don't fully appreciate the millions of hours of faithful Christian service that went before us. Yet the impact of that labor lives on. We're part of the great river that flows down through history And it matters what's upstream. It matters what we contribute, where it's going to flow downstream for many generations. Every one of you can make decisions that will make a positive difference in the future of our families. So you think about families you know that are just kind of disasters uh, for any number of reasons. And then you see the children, and then you think, oh, my, you know, where, where does this go? Everything has a trajectory, right? So every little thing you do, every good habit you establish, every bit of faithfulness has a trajectory, too. 
So making those kinds of decisions. Again, I talk to young couples who are about to get married, and we talk about looking at your family and keeping all the good things that you can, that you got from your parents and maybe several generations that you've received, and then finding some things that need to be improved. Identify those things. Establish some habits early uh, so that you can move this up a notch for the next generation. And then hopefully your kids will then do the same with you. And we make generational progress that way. So why is our culture in the mess that it's in? Do we really have to ask that question? Is it because we're doing what God said to do? Is it because we're dedicated to raising a generation of godly and responsible adults? Messes are multi-generational to the point where we don't even notice the messes anymore. They look normal. I want you to think about your family's culture. A culture has its own language, its own laws, customs, traditions, and assumptions. Cultures always shape, and therefore parents must self-consciously make sure that their children are being shaped by a thoroughly biblical culture in their homes. I'm covering, obviously, a lot of material here, and we're going to be cramming this in. actually are cramming it in because there's so much in the Scriptures. But when I make a statement like that of a thoroughly biblical culture at your house, that's an easy statement to hear and let it go one ear and out the other. But I want to back up and ask, is that a description of your household? Is that what somebody, if they were to observe you for 24 hours or for a week, they would say, well, you know what, they're not doing it perfect, but essentially this is a thoroughly biblical culture in this household. I see it in the relationship of the husband and the wife. I see it in the relationship between the parents and the kids. I see it in the relationship between the siblings. I see it essentially is a biblical culture. I see it at the dining table. I see it in the living room. I see it when they're doing their chores. I see it when they're doing family worship. I see it when they have people over. Now, do I mean that it's overtly religious? Uh, no. I mean, it's, it's that your faith and your Christianity and, your, and the biblical uh, view of what you're doing just permeates all that you're doing in your attitudes and how you resolve. You're going to have conflicts because you're sinners. How you resolve the conflicts you screaming at the top of your lungs? Foul language? Sideways glances? Pouting? Moping? Punishing? Manipulating? Nope, that's not thoroughly biblical. <laughs> that's the opposite of a biblical culture. So I'm challenging you to look at your family and say, look, we're not going to fix all this overnight, but, you know, this we can start tackling these three big ones by making some changes. And we'll be talking about some ways to do that as we go. So we live in a time that's increasingly aimless and clueless about child raising. Our culture is even confused over masculinity and femininity and how God designed each of those components 
uh, to complement each other in the home and in the raising of children. But our culture is also confused because our households are confused, and God's purpose for the family is to provide a culture that will mold and shape children according to the standard of his word. And if we don't know what those standards are, then we cannot even begin to achieve that goal. And so many families drift from day to day, unsure and unconfused. How many times I've heard a parent say, I just don't know what to do. Well, the Bible tells us what to do. Moreover, the pop culture and political culture are working in antithetical ways to the biblical culture we're called to. Too many of us want to flirt with and let our children flirt with the world. But God is jealous for you and for your children. James 4, 3 through 5 Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I'll dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so it is important for us to remember, uh, and I've said, again, I know I'm repeating myself, but that's how it finally sticks, is everybody's trying to sell you and your children something all the time. Everybody. Not everything they're selling is good. Most, In fact, most of, since truth is a pretty narrow category, uh, some of what's being sold is good, most of it's not. But that doesn't escape the, inalter- the inescapable fact that the world is full of salesmen. And when your three-year-old, remember I've used this illustration for is racing down the cereal aisle and tricks are for kids, is at eye level for your three-year-old and it's, they've already got the box in the, in the bag, in the buggy. And if you don't, if you're not exercising some judgment and control, um, do you think General Mills know, knows what they're doing when they make tricks, all those bright colors, and put a rabbit on the box and cartoon and coat them in sugar and put a toy in the bottom? Do you think they know what they're doing? Do you think your three-year-old knows what General Mills is doing? Well, guess what? When they're 13, there are people, Disney's doing that for your teenage daughters, different kind of candy, different kind of sugar coating. And you think they're not doing that when they're 17 and 18? We could go on and on. You see, it's all the time, everywhere. And if you don't know that, and if if you're walking down the cereal aisle and you don't know that, you're going to be buying a lot of 
sugary cereals for a long time. And if you don't know that when they're 13, you're going to have a lot bigger problem than that. A lot bigger. So, if you're not developing a distinctive and rigorous Christian culture in your home, then don't be surprised to wake up and find your children attracted to and shaped by an alien culture. The other side works day and night to capture your children's hearts and minds. I cannot overemphasize this point. Which culture has the most face time with your children? If parents won't take the lead, then the world is full of those who will. A child left alone will not remain alone for long. A child is malleable, and he will either be shaped by his parents or he'll be shaped by something or someone else. Apple, Google, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and many, many more are portals into your home. And you don't know, if you don't, my question is, do you know what's flowing through those portals? It is your job to find the black holes at your house, all the places where outside culture sneaks in or where your children get sucked into that world. Your job is to monitor and control all the cultural influences because your job is to teach, disciple, pray, and provide an example. And we will stop. I decided we're going to stop when we run out of time, and we'll start back next, next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its warnings, but we mostly thank you for its promises that you didn't leave us alone to do this, but you've given us ample instruction to enable us to walk with you as we engage in this most important task of raising children to your glory. Help us all, Father. Uh, Encourage us, strengthen us, And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.